So hello and welcome to this Climate Gardens podcast. My name is Deborah Scott Anderson and I'm the founder of Climate Gardens, which helps gardeners understand and adapt to the changes they are already experiencing in their gardens as a result of climate change and our shifting weather patterns. Today, I'm really delighted to be talking to one of my favourite broadcasters, Peter Gibbs, about what is actually happening with our UK weather. Peter certainly knows everything about weather because he's a professional meteorologist and was a BBC weather forecaster for over 25 years. He's also a seasoned expert on the many joys and challenges of gardening, as he's one of the hosts of BBC Radio 4 Gardener's Question Time. This is actually the longest running radio programme in the world, and will celebrate its 75th anniversary in 2022. If that wasn't enough, Peter is also a regular contributor to Costing the Earth on Radio 4, and he has recorded many programmes about the challenges of climate change for the UK. Welcome, Peter. It's really good to connect again. Thanks, Deborah. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. And we last met, I think, in uh, 2016 at RHS Wisley, where we recorded an interview for Gardener's Question Time, actually, about gardening in a changing climate. Yeah, that's right. And that was around about the time that the RHS had uh, just brought out a report looking at the impacts of, uh, of climate change in horticulture, a really in-depth report and still a really good read today and still very relevant as well. Yes, and I think that the important thing is that that report sort of set the, the, the scene, if you like, for what's been happening over the last uh, sort of five years. And it does seem that rapid change is, is becoming the focus for gardeners now as extreme weather becomes the norm and they have new challenges. So can you give us an update on what's really happening with the UK weather? Well, I suppose maybe first of all, start with just saying what climate actually is. What's the difference between climate and weather? And, and essentially, climate is just the, the average effect of, of lots of weather. So the expectation that July is warmer than February is climate but you can get a chilly day in July or a warmish day in February. And that's weather, that's the day-to-day -day variation. So it's just the average overall effect. Um, but that average has changed quite a lot over recent decades. In fact, over my lifetime, so we're talking about from the early 60s onwards um, to now, the average temperature across the UK has increased by around about one degree Celsius, just slightly above, which, which really sounds like nothing does it you know you go outside mm. and the temperature changes by a degree yeah. you you probably wouldn't even barely notice, notice it. it no but if i say that over that same period that one degree rise in average temperature the baseline climate change uh, has led to the growing season increasing by well the best part of a month wow. you can see how these fairly small baseline changes actually can have a pretty big impact and actually we've probably got about six weeks extra growing season compared to what the Victorians were used to. And that can make a big difference to gardeners can't it because that whole thing about um, the season shifting which is what you're saying really I think isn't it? It, it is and you know you mentioned extreme weather um, that shifting baseline also increases the chances of getting extremes um, the top end of the the envelope if you like uh, only has to shift a little bit to bring in potential uh, weather events that you wouldn't have been able to get 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, for example, summer temperatures. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, you get 34 degrees in the summer, perhaps once a decade, once every dozen years or so. It was, it was a fairly rare event. In the last 10 years, 
we've reached 34 degrees during the summer almost every single year. It's becoming virtually an annual event. So that, that really is quite a big change. Uh, rainfall is the other thing. You know, a warmer atmosphere actually can hold more moisture. Um, for every one degree rise in average temperature, uh, the atmosphere holds about 7% more moisture. So when it rains, that extra moisture is available to come down in that rainfall. And we are certainly seeing a trend to when it does rain, it rains heavier. Yes, it's like a monsoon, isn't it? I mean, that whole thing of it might not rain for weeks, but then you might have like monsoon rain for 24 hours, um, which I presume is, is that holding that moisture in the air and suddenly letting it go. Yeah, exactly right. And, and particularly uh, we see that in summer rainfall, which tends to come from, from big shower clouds, which can produce some really torrential downpours, which, which are definitely um, increasing. Also, having said that, the, the Met Office prediction uh, for changes across the UK with climate change is for warmer, wetter winters and hotter, drier summers, which is something that we seem to be seeing, definitely a, a trend towards. Um, but it still rains in the summer. It's just when it does, it comes down in one big dollop instead of uh, just a few pleasant showers that just moisten the ground nicely. And then that causes flooding because we've seen a lot of instances of flooding, haven't we, I think, um, in recent years, extreme flooding. Yes, both winter and summer. Winter from more extensive rainfall that can go on for, for day after day. Uh, summer in these more intense downpours that can, that can lead to, uh, to flash flooding. The, the other thing with temperature is there's been a notable change in the frequency of frosts across the UK, as you might expect um, with, with a, a warmer climate. Um, the number of frosts overall has dropped by around about 10 days on average. So we're seeing wow. around 10 fewer frosts than we used to again back in the you know, sort of 60s, 70s. But the distribution is not even. So we're seeing almost as many frosts still in the spring, but a lot less at the tail end of the year. So autumn has a long tail now going right on into November, even December. And uh, it, frost is much more of a rarity at that time of year now. So with the growing season lengthening and frost changing, um, is that mainly happening in the autumn? Is that, is that where that shift is, is? Is it fair to say that that's where the shift is happening? Uh, yes, there does seem to be a bit more of a tail. Also, you know, with these warmer, wetter winters, we are seeing milder winters. We're seeing less cold weather during the winter. So uh, there's a little bit of both going on, really. Longer autumns, but also still many days during the winter when, well, you know, we've probably noticed it with the grass growing, haven't we? You know, you might yes. still have to get the mower out in, yes. in February, for example, yes. which you, you yes. never would have thought you would have to do uh, in the past. No, and that thing that the plants are obviously having to adapt, aren't they? So with the season shifting and the extreme weather becoming more uh, common, I suppose that's the word we'd use, um, it's not just us that are experiencing, the plants are having to adapt. So, so Peter, you know, with, with the UK weather obviously shifting, um, seasons changing, how is that actually linked to sort of the bigger global changing climate picture? I, I suppose it all links back to the fact that there's just a lot more energy being trapped in the atmosphere. And that energy, extra energy, is manifesting itself as uh, more vigorous weather. Um, I mean, essentially, all that weather is is the atmosphere trying to even out temperature differences. So there's more input around the equator, there's much less input at the poles. 
So therefore you get this temperature imbalance and everything then tries to move around to even that temperature difference out. That's that's simple physics. And that manifests itself as weather. Um, air moving from equator towards pole to try and even out this energy difference. So if you have got more energy in the system, then these systems become more energetic and we see that as the potential for severe weather. I suppose the biggest impact in terms of what we see in the UK is what's happening with the jet stream. This is this ribbon of very fast moving air, quite high up in the atmosphere, the sort of height that you fly in, a, in an airliner um, that brings the weather systems across the UK from the Atlantic. Now that's driven by that strong temperature contrast between our sort of latitudes and the poles. If that temperature contrast weakens, which it is doing to some extent because the pole, the Arctic is warming faster than almost any other part of the planet, then the jet stream can be weakened. If it weakens, it starts to meander, just like a river slowing down and starting to loop and meander. And when that happens, then we don't get those weather systems being driven across us. So we don't get the weather changing quite as much. You can get stuck in one particular pattern. So if it's dry and warm, you can end up with that for days on end, which can build into a heat wave. If it's uh, low pressure, which produces rain and cooler temperatures, then you could be stuck with that and you could end up with flooding as a result of lots and lots and lots of rain. And there are, there are certainly signs that that seems to be happening during the summer months, particularly a little bit less evidence that that's become a, a major feature during the winter. But that's how the global pattern and the global changes can actually have big impacts in the UK. Yes, and I mean, we're not the only country obviously experiencing this um, and that jet stream influence on America as well, that whole difference of what's happening over there. I speak to a lot of American gardeners who say that, you know, their weather is just completely mad now. Yeah, and it's that same thing, weather getting stuck for, for yeah. weeks on end with the same yeah. thing, not moving through to yeah. even it out. Yeah. So it's important that, you know, we do look at the bigger picture as gardeners and obviously it's important to us in our own gardens, but to realize we're, we're all sharing this experience. So um, it's really important that we understand what's going on. So with the weather patterns shifting um, and the seasons changing, which you very clearly explained, um, how is that actually impacting our gardens? Particularly, you know, what are the common issues that gardeners are having? Uh, obviously around plants, because I speak to a lot of gardeners online who are totally confused about what, what season they're in, what's going to come up. I mean, daffodils in November <laughs> and December was the big thing. Yeah, I think the plants are confused as well. The, the plants are totally confused and it's yeah. not just us. The plants are used to a season and they're used to knowing when they should perform. But um, how, you know, what do you find um, as someone who's involved with the gardening world are some of the common issues that maybe are coming up uh, and questions being asked? Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, you know, at face value, you'd think a longer growing season, we'd all be cheering as gardeners, wouldn't we? We're going to be able to grow things for longer through the season. We're probably going to be able to get away with more exotic stuff that we maybe couldn't a, a couple of, of decades ago. And, and all that is, is true. Um, but the downside of it, the negative side of it, is that some of the plants that we know and love some of our standard herbaceous perennials, for example, uh, some of our standard fruit like apples, pears, uh, black currants, rely on a chilling period during the winter to conserve their energy, build up their energy stores so they can actually burst forth in the spring 
and do their stuff. And, and if they don't get that chilling period during the winter months, which increasingly they're not, then that can cause real problems. They just they just don't perform. So, you know, that's maybe an unexpected effect. We talked about frost as well, how the distribution of frosts is changing. Great. Things extend into the autumn, so we get a bit of a, a longer season. But the fact that spring frosts aren't really changing that much, you can still get a late frost, having had a relatively mild winter, which, as you say, is bringing things on at weird times. Uh, blossom becomes advanced. If you've had a, a mild winter, it comes out earlier. But if you're still getting the spring frosts at roughly the same sort of time, that actually perversely becomes more of a threat because yeah. the, the plants are more advanced so they can actually be hit harder, um, particularly things like uh, like fruit trees. And these big swings that we're seeing from really dry to really wet, from cold to really hot, back and forth over the space of sometimes just a, a few weeks, which, which definitely appears to be on the increase and is something we'd expect to see. Um, plants don't deal with that terribly well. They like things to be a bit more of an even keel. And I think that's probably the thing I would say in my experience that gardeners are seeing most of all and experiencing most of all these big swings from one thing to another, which yes, puts the seasons out of kilter, but really uh, puts the plants out of kilter as well. Yes. And I feel that thing now, people are confused about what to plant in their garden. So this, this confusion about herbaceous perennials, you know, are they going to survive in this uncertain climate? And you mentioned the introduction of exotics and, I mean, I've got two banana plants that stay outside in my southeast garden all summer. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, that, that doesn't mean that everyone can, can do that because there are pockets of areas where they still have very cold weather. Yeah. So it's, it's a complete confusion, I think. And what's great about uh, programmes like Gardener's Question Time, I, I have to come back to that, is that you're helping gardeners to navigate this route. Um, but... Do you feel that there are, you know, long-term implications for things like soils? Because plants obviously survive according to the quality of our soils. So having long periods of drought, that's seriously going to affect um, the nutrients in the soil. And, and the life in the soil as, as well, of And course. the life in the soil. So this whole issue of, you know, you can't just go and buy a plant and plonk it down now. You, you do have to do a lot more research, I think, not just into what's happening with your weather, but how your soil is being affected. Is that something that gardeners are finding? I, th I think it's really difficult, Deborah, to, to, to give gardeners advice on, well, what should I plant for the mm. future? Um, largely because we are going to continue to see these, these big swings. So, you know, initially when climate change was being talked up for, for gardening, um, there was the advice that, well, you know, plant Mediterranean yeah. because that's the sort of climate we'll end up with. Um, well, we, we won't really because no. we're going to have these really wet winters um, and very mild wet winters. And, and Mediterranean plants, of course, hate having their roots mm -hmm. in water. So it might work in some areas. It's not going to work for, for everybody. You, you talk about your bananas as well. Uh, they're doing really well at the moment, but we could still get a week yeah. of cold weather, you know, mm -hmm. this winter, next winter that could really clobber them. So we've still got the Arctic not too far away to the north. You know, let's not rule out that we can still get a, a spell of, of cold weather. Um, and it only has to last a short time to, to cause to cause problems. So it is a difficult one. What, what I would 
what I would say is that we need to give our plants the best chance to get through the difficult conditions. So if you pick the right plant for the right place and give it the conditions that it absolutely loves as much as you possibly can, that's then going to help it get through the times when things all go a bit, a bit awry, a bit hairy. And that thing of paying attention to our plants. I mean, I always feel that, um, you know, plants are like people. The more, more love and affection you give them, the more they respond. So even more care and attention about, as you say, what plant we choose, where we put it, but also how we look after it, how, how we maintain its health. Um, and I, I feel that these weather changes, I mean, gardeners have always had to deal with changes, haven't they? Yeah. But they are, they are now becoming um, a bit more extreme. So do you feel that this experience of, of understanding what's happening with the weather um, can help gardeners maybe become more sustainable in their own lives and um, understand that the UK's gardens actually lock up 68 million tonnes of carbon, which... When I read that, I thought that was amazing. And a lot of that in the soil, of course. Good, healthy soil is important. And, and, and the soil is, is the, the bedrock, literally, of, of why we have our gardens, isn't it? So if we didn't have good soil. But if we're keeping uh, an eye on the weather and we're watching that it's changing, uh, literally outside our back door, climate change is happening, isn't it? Mm. We're, we're, we're observers of, of a much bigger global climate picture. Um, do you think there's other things that uh, we can do as gardeners just to connect to that bigger carbon picture as well. You know, what would you suggest, particularly in relation to soils? Oh, I, I, I think gardeners are really important as, as part of the front line uh, against trying to, to mitigate the, the impacts of, of climate change. You know, I, I think the biggest thing you can do is, is reduce your, your carbon footprint. You know, we've, we've known since the mid 1800s that carbon dioxide traps warmth in the atmosphere we wouldn't be here if it didn't the planet would be a, a ball of ice um so it is quite simple science you add more of it and and the planet warms up that's that's very well established so every bit we can do as gardeners to reduce our carbon footprint in whatever way is is going to uh, is going to help with that um greenery particularly in urban areas as well has a hugely important cooling effect as temperatures continue to rise and all that concrete and tarmac absorbs the heat and then gives it out overnight you know really you get this uh, heat island effect within within cities it's remarkable how much cooling can be produced by having a wall coated with greenery or having trees shading pavements um, so gardeners can definitely play their part in that biodiversity as well you know we, we've seen the report recently from q that one in three tree species globally are at risk from extinction partly due to climate change partly due to other effects of course like deforestation but nonetheless your garden can be an oasis for for biodiversity and helping to preserve some of these trees and of course trees are great for drawing co2 out of the atmosphere and locking it away so we should all be planting more trees uh, but we need to be mindful of the fact that tree planted today it's going to be growing in a very different climate a few decades hence. So we have to be a bit careful about what we're planting. And there's actually a lot of work going on at the moment, places like Kew, to just work out what are the best species to be planting now to be able to still be thriving, growing 
absorbing CO2 20, 30, 40, 50 years hence. Um, and definitely, and I'm now converted to this, don't use peat. Peat bogs are one of the most effective mechanisms for locking up carbon that we have. And they're still being dug up to stick in a bag for us to plant our seedlings in. And it is releasing vast amounts of carbon. It's stopping them doing their job of actually locking that carbon up. And the alternatives are getting better and better. I'm, I'm sold on it. You know, that's one of the most effective things that gardeners can do. And it's not difficult because it is available. I mean, that's the whole thing. There's no excuse, really, when you go into a garden centre now to, to actually ask them, do you have peat-free compost? But you have to ask. You have, you have to, to ask. ask. They'll, they'll do what the customers want, yeah. Exactly. So as gardeners, we've got a, a sort of power that we can actually influence what's being sold to us. Um, and I love that you've mentioned that because I've seen a lot of uh, information about peat-free, but when I went into my garden centre recently, I literally had to look for it. Um, so I think, you know, being lobbyists, if you like, as gardeners, and, and helping uh, the garden community sort of pull together on let's not use peat compost anymore. And I think gardeners want to do things right. You know, gardeners are attuned to what's going on in, in the natural world. They want to help the natural world. You can see that in the huge upsurge has been in, in the interest in bringing nature into the garden over yeah. recent years. People want to do the right thing. And we're in the best place to do it because every day we're interacting with nature, which is why I set up Climate Gardens in the first place, because I feel that I think there's um, been three million more people took up gardening during the pandemic and we're a nation of gardeners. So as, as a collective, we can actually do a lot, both in our gardens and in our personal lives. So I really, really appreciated you explaining how our local weather is affected with the bigger climate picture and hope very much that anyone listening to this podcast will join you on Gardener's Question Time to learn more about the wonders and challenges of gardening in a changing climate.